In this episode of the Phantom Jukebox, we explore the disastrous production of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Bloated egos, on-set injuries, and the death of a key figure cause this performance to be the greatest financial loss in Broadway history. And we're live. Hello, and welcome to the Phantom Jukebox. I'm Ty Lindsay. And I'm Joseph Shannon. And we're two musicians that dive into the world of music, their myths, conspiracies, and bizarre music history. You can find uh, episodes like this and other ones on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Good Pods, uh, Samsung Free, and uh, any new ones that should be coming out whenever, because we're on all of them right now. Oh, yeah. We're everywhere. Come talk to us. Give us the, the stars, the ratings. Give, give us the high and the whatnot. <laughs> uh, but if you can, also, if you could give us five stars, then tell us what you think about the show or some concepts you'd like to hear us talk about in the future. Um, yeah, honestly, uh, I'd love to hear your opinions. We, got, we had a really, really kind critique sent to us. It was, it was thorough, but it was very kind. We had a really, really good exchange of them talking about mm-hmm. the kind of where we began and then kind of where we're at now, like, you know, things he noticed that changed. It was, I very much appreciated him saying it. If you give us five stars, you don't have to be nice at all in the review. You can just say whatever you want. I mean, you don't have to, but I appreciate it. <laughs> you can be as mean to us as possible. I mean, I mean, Joe, Joe's big and strong, but I'm not. <laughs> we're also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Just come find us at Phantom Jukebox. Look it up. We're there. We like to communicate <laughs> i thought there was more and that's why i kept bossing <laughs> we like to talk to y'all come talk to us come to, give us give us a little talk to as the whole episode talk about spider-man on broadway we're going to talk talk like we're in the backwoods <laughs> oh god how much do you know about spider-man in general i'm a comic book nerd and i like spider-man a lot mm-hmm. uh i'm definitely more versed on the dc side of things but uh I know I like him on on the Marvel. Marvel has some really cool characters. I know I like Spider-Man. I do think the Marvel has a character or two I do find appealing. Uh, honestly, for me, one of my favorites is Craven the Hunter, which I saw that trailer. Oh, and yeah. I wish I hadn't. Oh, really? Oh, it looks terrible. <laughs> Not knowing anything about Craven the Hunter, it, it looks like a good movie. Uh, but knowing things about Craven the Hunter, it looks awful. Mm. I think it's supposed to be like his kid. I, uh, of course, it's not Craven, which he's not a guy who really you could give a movie to. He's kind of a movie you have. He's like the, he would be a great villain. Mm. I think like, you know, you have some other Spider-Man thing he's dealing with and then he's being pursued by a man in the concrete jungle. That's like the Predator. The, they could have done Predator in Marvel. Oh, but they didn't. Yeah, that would have been cool. Nah, Cra- uh, Craven's dope. But, um, you know, you know a lot about Spider-Man. How much do you know about Broadway? Uh, not at all. Uh, my sister does the whole like uh, plays and acting stuff. I, I, it's cool. 
<laughs> it, it is. It is a, it is a skill on its own, and it, there is a taste for it, I do think. like yes. you gotta, You got to like it or you don't. I'm kind of in the middle. I I don't see myself going to like um Lion King the musical which is kind of something we'll talk about later on in this uh, episode. I don't see myself going to that, but I do see myself going to like Sweeney Todd and seeing the original theatrical production and maybe it's completely different from the movie. I love the movie. Yeah, um, I if I didn't have a relative that was in the play I probably wouldn't go see it. <laughs> okay. So fair enough. So, <laughs> so neither one of us are really versed or huge fans of Broadway. I want to go in saying that um, this isn't like a, a complete roast of Broadway in general. This is kind of specifically how bad this particular show went. Mm. Um, so one of the things I wanted to clear up about, actually, do you know anything about Spider-Man? the musical combining the two subjects. No. Did you even know it existed? No, I did not. But I have faith in Andrew Garfield. <laughs> he looks like he could be an ice skater. Well, I mean, Spider-Man's supposed to be kind of a slim build guy. I guess it could work. Going into this episode, I have heard of this. And oh, if you hear rustling in the background, Ziggy has decided to do laps. She waited for us to record. That is our uh, our production manager keeping us on track. And it doesn't sound. I don't think this is a good sign. No, I think she's not. We're pleased. doing something wrong. She just threw her coffee mug across the room and screamed a whole lot of obscenities. Um. <laughs> so go. I have heard of this for a while now, and uh, Dakota and I, uh, we were under the impression that multiple people had died hmm. during the production of this thing, because uh, it is a very very stunt heavy piece, and yeah. you know. Uh, stunt heavy performance and we thought you know this was this super dangerous thing that uh multiple people you know died during the production of and that's why this thing was doomed to fail and all that kind of stuff mm. um the truth of the matter is that it is a uh, complete in total like myth complete hyperbole oh it only killed one guy oh okay sort of eh, just one guy. just one guy <laughs> sort of oh there's a caveat to that mm. How do you sort of kill someone? We're about to find out. Okay. I'm about to learn you something. <laughs> so it was called Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Oh. It's a musical based on the legendary comic character created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. It features elements of the 2002 and 2004 films, which were a massive success. These are the Tobey Maguire ones. Okay, yeah. You can kind of say, like, because those movies did so well that this even became a concept. Like, there wasn't just, like, a room and someone's like, I think Spider-Man should sing something. But it was it was literally, like, um, Sam Raimi's movies, like, killing it. When I think the first one almost made a billion dollars in the early 2000s, which is insane. It was, like, 800-something million dollars. Uh, yeah, it was 850 million in 2002. Uh, 1.4 billion in today's money. I would like to think what really happened is someone saw Spider-Man 2 when he put on the the suit, the dark suit, and was dancing around on the street. Tommy McGuire's character. That's three. Oh, three. That's three. That hadn't. That was. So the third movie comes out. Th this saga spans nearly a decade, if not. Wow. So the episode came out. Uh, they they knew the third one was in production. So they're like, oh, we need to capitalize on this Spider-Man. Every time I say Spider-Man, I want to say it like Stan Lee. We got to capitalize on this Spider-Man thing. Yeah. 
uh, Spider-Man hype that's going on. So this is why it's like, we're going to get it. We're going to make movies. We're going to make TV shows and we're going to do Broadway. Let's go. So this is the let's go. Uh, sometime in 2005. So kind of in between the release of the first one and the coming of the second one. Or actually right after the second one, I should say. Uh, sometime in 2005, famed Broadway producer Tony Adams convinced Marvel to let him produce Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. So for those who need to know, a producer is kind of like a CEO of a show. Uh, he unites the creative team. It raises the financial investment, which is one the of important. the important, more difficult things to do. And finding a venue. So finding a theater. Oh. Uh, and then basically guiding the show every step of the way. Really, it should probably be like two or three jobs, but that's one person's responsibility. Mm, nice. It's huge. Uh, Adams also got Bono and The Edge involved to write the music. So, okay. All right. <laughs> so, that's the direction this is heading. Adams knew Bono. Like, you know, he knew the guys in U2, and then he, I guess he personally knew Bono, and then he's like, hey, uh, would you like to write me some music for, I don't know why you wouldn't go with Nickelback, but maybe he didn't know. <laughs> they wrote, I mean, that song's not bad. The hero song from Spider-Man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's this Nickelback song. It's not bad. But uh, yeah, apparently, you know, you 2 would be such a bunch a bigger draw, but uh, uh, kind of a fun fact. I don't know if it's necessarily fun, but it is in fact a fact. Imagine Dragons wrote demos for this musical that ultimately would wind up on their debut album, Night Visions. Oh, nice. Um, basically, the story goes is they, they sent the songs in and the guy heard them and he's like, no, nah, we should put this in another album. And then, you know, their career just took off from that. The theory is, and this is a rumor, so I don't have any, they did in fact do music for, they did do in fact do the demos. But the rumor is that the song Radioactive was meant for Spider-Man. Huh. I think that's already, that's already bad omens when Imagine Dragons is getting involved. Like, literally, they were like kind of like a band that was on their way up. They, these songs were really, really super good, quote-unquote. Yeah. And then now they're at where they're at now. Wow. So they might owe their careers to Spider-Man. To Spider-Man turn off the dark. Bono and The Edge then enlisted Julie Taymor to direct and write the script for the or the book of the show. Instead of... Um, this is obvious for people that know Broadway, but they, a book for Broadway is their script. She is famous for directing the Broadway version of The Lion King, which is a oh, wow. massive yeah. show. Uh, it's still going strong. It only stopped for COVID, but basically everything did. And then it is still going strong. It's like one of the most successful shows, but also one of the most expensive ones to produce. I mean, yeah, I, I could see that because it's also like, it's got some of the best music. It does. Well, Broadway doesn't necessarily mean they take all the songs from the movies either. Yeah. So they'll do their own versions. They'll add songs. They might completely change songs. So it's, it's kind of supposed to be a different experience. I mean, if they could get Phil Collins to do a Tarzan on Broadway, that'd draw a crowd. I think it would. I think it would. Um, Tamor got rave reviews for the creative solutions and writing that she did for, for the Lion King Broadway show. Uh, like uh, basically people thought she was doing great. Um, also, they might flesh out other characters in different mm -hmm. ways. It's kind of telling it from a different angle. I, I don't know. Broadway is an acquired taste. You have to yeah. really like it. Uh, additionally, entertainment lawyer David Garfunkel joined uh, Tony Adams to be like his understudy. Okay. 
So David Garf, uh, Garfunkel had Garfinkel, sorry. He hadn't done any huge productions. Like he was a lawyer first and foremost, an entertainment lawyer. And he had done some small things, but this was going to be his big break. And this was him following Tony Adams. Like Tony Adams was definitely the captain of the boat. Yeah. And then Garfunkel was supposed to, Finkel was supposed to study under him and then basically eventually learn how to do it from this production. This was like the training wheels are on. You know, holding Tony Adams' hand as they, you know, they walk, yeah. and he's like, "And this is how you screw these people over. <laughs> you don't ever pay these people." <laughs> so, nice. I know that's cold, but producers. Eh. Now we kind of covered it very, very briefly. My second question for you, specifically, mm-hmm. considering Spider-Man, what do you think "turn off the dark" means? Um, I my. Initial instinct was thinking that a glow-in-the-dark Spider-Man, but that wouldn't be good. You kind of need lights on to have a pretty good Broadway show, I would think. The, whole, the whole thing's just an auditory experience. <laughs> it's auditory. Uh, well, in the writing room, Bono had a thought. The name is something one of Bono's friends, little kids, would say when their parent was turning off the bedroom light. So the little kid would look at their parent and go, Mom, Dad, turn off the dark. What a stupid little kid. <laughs> so it kind, of, it kind of means nothing. If you can't figure out what turn off the dark means, like metaphorically enough, like you're, what I would love to see is the people like searching for the deeper meaning of that yeah. phrase. And it's like, oh, it's just something a cute little kid said. Oh, nice. Oh, thanks. And maybe the kid wasn't even cute. Maybe he was an ugly little kid. <laughs> stupid idiot. <laughs> Dumb little kid. That's turning off the light. If anything, you'd be turning on the dark, <laughs> asshole. Turning on the dark. Stupid. <laughs> oh, what a jerk. <laughs> well, <laughs> the bad things don't stop there. In 2005, Tony Adams collapses at the Edge's apartment before the papers were fully signed. Oh. So the group gathers. Uh, Bono had already, had already signed. Julie and uh, Tamor had already signed. I want to say Andrews. Tony Adams needed to sign. And, they, and the Edge went to go grab a pen. And he came back and Tony Adams was like slumped over. So mm. they rush him to the hospital. He's dead the next day. He died of a stroke. Wow. And he was in, in his like late 50s. Jeez. So it hadn't even started yet. And this is the guy sort of that this show killed. Okay. So it did sort of kind of technically kill a person, but uh-huh. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. His deal with the devil ran out right then. Just one more It scene. wasn't meant to be. No. So with the lead producer gone, producing responsibilities fell to his inexperienced understudy, David Garfunkel. Oh. So now. Oh, nice. So now when. We're going to get into the scope of what he, there isn't a proper analogy for like the best thing to come up with is biting off more than he could chew. But that is such an understatement from the numbers I'm about to tell you. Ah, so you would think it's like, oh my, I'm going to produce a show. Maybe I do a little, little one man act in a small theater. Yeah. No, 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 no. The initial budget of the show, which they still got even after Adam's death. And Adam's is the whole reason they're doing this. Wow. Adam's had it. He was involved with the creation of the Pink Panther. Um, 
he's the whole reason they're doing this and he's the he is the reason marvel it's like okay let's make a broadway show he talked wow. marvel into it that's hard to do yes this guy knew what he was doing and that guy died and the guy who was like hey can i follow you around sometimes on the weekends and learn how you do it uncle adams and he's like sure the, the guy with the training wheel still on is about to take over a $52 million production. Damn. That was the budget they, they got. Like all like that money was shifting that way already. And I think it was just the momentum that carried it into the situation. Because wow. um, getting $52 million together for one thing would be insanity. It's like the everything the light touches will be yours. And then the sun explodes. Well, <laughs> it's getting dark, son. All them's mine. Turn off the dark, Daddy. <laughs> Basically, and this was in fifty-two million dollars in two thousand and ten. Mm. Um, typically, Broadway musicals go in the range of five to uh, five million to fifteen million. Wow, is a usual budget for one of these things. Oh, it's going to be expensive. Uh, Hamilton, the massive success, twelve million to put that show on. Oh. You know, kind of panicking, Garfinkel gave Julie Taymor full creative control. And she's the director of the show. Yeah. And you would think that would be a good idea, right? She's got all this experience. She's handled a huge, massive production for Disney before. She's got this, yeah. right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Uh, I need that meme on my that soundboard, uh, sound on my board. You sure about that? Are you sure about that? I thought you were going to say that. Oh, no, it all went wrong. I'm saving that for later. Ah. <laughs> it, we'll but get there. Adams dies 2005. They get the money together. And four years later, 2009, they're still putting this thing together. Wow. And they hit their first major delay. And by, early, uh, by the early 2009, the production was already $25 million into debt. Mm. So they, they pretty much spent that $52 already. Wow. And they're $25 in the hole now. Uh, Tamor's script featured impractical elements like suspended wire fighting over the crowd. You know the thing they did in like uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and like The Matrix, and so many other amazing wire fighting kung fu movies? Yeah. She wants to do that. And the uh, Ford Foxwood Theater, uh, which is a small, uh, it's it's smaller. It's a it's a bigger theater, but it's not made. It's like a there's a stage and there's different curtains and stuff, mm -hmm. and you put on normal shows there. There's no. It's it's not a huge huge stage, but she wanted to do it there, and they had to completely renovate the building to do this. Wow! It wasn't made for this. Like they. People were wondering, like, why didn't you pick a more modern theater? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Well, apparently, well, the Foxwood is a famous theater, and I think that's what they wanted. Oh. They had to remove all these, like, elaborate um, mason, not mason work, but, like, statue work and decorations of the theater so they didn't get destroyed and just overhaul this thing. Because basically they installed, if you're familiar with, like, football games, um, you know, how, like they have the cameras that kind of run diagonal across the field yeah. they're suspended way high up. They basically installed versions of that that could hold people that, that were programmable routes that 
it's it's a whole thing on a technical level very very cool right yeah on a financial level very very expensive and wow. all this is happening because basically tamor is just like i want it i'm getting it that kind of attitude and garfinkel's like yeah yeah sure you know what you're doing oh uh, he's supposed to be the guy that goes no 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 no. that's absolutely not that is way too expensive he's the guy that's supposed to be producers are people most like performers and creative types would rarely get along with sometimes you know yeah because it's their job to keep things running and on budget yeah so sometimes producers are nightmares but their job is to keep things running smooth and not to be 25 million dollars in debt before the doors even open wow they haven't had any performances by the way this is four years of getting the cast together doing the dry runs all the construction you know costuming writing the music i don't know if it takes four years but part of that is in that time jeez yes and garfinkel just couldn't he couldn't handle tamor's just you know force of will i guess because with the lion king she had disney people and the experts on the other end going no you can't do that figure it out another way and then she had to figure it out another way she's kind of one of the creative types that kind of has to be reined in a little bit or you get 25 million dollars in debt yeah yeah lots of lots that way too well, it's lots of crazy ideas, but there's a point where it's like we we physically can't do that. Yeah. Like you you can't do this, but then they did. Yeah. There's some things you can do, some things you can't, some things you shouldn't. <laughs> what what did Goldblum say? What's <laughs> it? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Garfinkel called this permit hell mm. because He's having to find permits. I don't know if these even quite... Well, they, I think they did for Cirque du Soleil and things like that. Which, by the way, do wire work, but their stages and the venues they perform in are generally built for what they do. Yeah. Which is another question of, people kind of do this. Why aren't you just following their lead on like the mechanics of it, and then you just write your story around that? Yeah. But no. Uh, so these... They, they had to install things that could keep people safe and then getting the permits for all this was really bad and it was all Garfinkel's responsibility to do. Mm. So the budget would inflate and this would cause a lot of investors to back out and that is one of the, like, one of the major reasons like production kind of halted in 2009. Okay. Because you're like, hey, nothing's happening out of this. I've lost a lot of money already. I'm not giving you any more money. So Garfinkel would put, had a, kind of like a small production company kind of thing he was making. He yeah. invested a lot of his own money into this production, along with convincing other investors to, you know, add more to their initial contributions. Jeez. So he's putting his own money into this and he's like, see, I'm putting money into it. It's like when somebody's playing piano at the, uh, you know, at a bar or something and there's like always like a 20 in the cup. Yeah. They put that in there. It's yeah. like a, it's like a, it's a mental thing where like, if you see it like, oh, somebody did, so I should too. Mm. It's a, it's a trick and then it works. I mean, little contribution for you guys out there that are out there busking. Throw, I would think the opposite. Cause when I see somebody like it with a tip jar, if it's empty, I'm like, oh, and I put a little in. Well, it's a sympathy thing, but also you kind of go, well, nobody thought they were good enough for money. So why should I? Yeah. 
It's it. I mean, yeah. it works. They all. I've I've seen multiple people talk about it. So he invests his own money to try to get this thing going. Gets people to you know, just uses every string he can to get people to start pumping money back into this thing. And no, by November in two thousand and nine, due to bad press and lack of confidence from the investors, Garfinkel gets dropped as producer. Oh wow! So he did all that work to get them back on board, and Bono and the rest of the gang were like, "Nah, bye." Jeez. And from what I read, he didn't get his money back. So it's just like, thanks, but bye. So not only has he put his own money into it, his reputation is destroyed. Wow. Because of all he, the pleading he did. So much for your first gig. Yeah, no, he, th- this would more or less end this avenue for him. Michael Cole and Jeremiah J. Harris were picked by Bono to take over the show and both of these guys were much more seasoned producers okay uh cole was able to raise 30 more million dollars to help finance jeez are we gonna have a total at the end here uh i have like a kind of like a net total of like after everything wow uh but yeah he was able to get 30 million dollars back in so started with 50 there were 25 in debt already and then he was able to get 30 more million put on Okay. They so, believe in it. Yeah, they he believe they everybody thought this was a good idea because everyone's like, listen, guys, the first the 2002, they almost made a billion dollars. Nobody knew who Spider-Man was before then. Oh, a lot of people did. Spider-Man's super popular. But yeah. he, the mainstream audience, I should say, didn't know who Spider-Man was before the movies. Yeah. There was a show and stuff like that, but um he entered like regular people's lives. At that point, I, yeah. after watching the more, more recent move, Spider movies that come out, it's just like, I still just want to rewatch the first two. Yeah, that was really good. Um, Doc Ock, so good. Alfred Molina. So the first preview, we finally get to, uh, I think sometime after that, so then we're in 2010 now, we get the first preview. This isn't day one, but this is a preview, kind of see where people think things are at. Yeah. The premiere is still a ways away. So the show was described as, you know, this is everything kind of quote unquote buttoned up, all the costuming's done. We're ready to run a preview. Uh, th- this show was called a pop up, pop, uh, pop up, Jesus, pop up, pop art opera. Uh, Julie Taymor called it a rock and roll circus drama. And 60 Minutes CBS called it a comic book rock, rock opera circus. So somewhere in there, it is a circusy opera rock thing. Nice. Is what if this was written to be. Uh, because we are comic nerds, we are going to talk about the actual story and its wacky plot. But it doesn't really fit the, this particular episode. So that is going to be in our B-sides. Ah. And we're going to get into the actual story of the episode. I'm, if I had to guess, you may, I'm, I'm suspecting I'm going to see a forehead vein come oh. out of your head by the time we get done talking okay. about that. Okay. Um, she does not so great things to the story, oh. by the way. And none of them know anything about Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, I figured. Yeah. I mean, you could walk in, I mean, with movies nowadays, like, like the director is like oh yeah i never heard of blade before yeah i feel like with movies there's no excuse i mean 
get some nerds in there. Yeah, well, get some comic book like fanatics. Just get them, get their opinions in the writers room. There's no excuse. You'd with, have to. You get a hardcore nerd, and then you get a hardcore producer. That's the opposite direction. You put them in a room, give them equal power, and then let them fight it out. Oh, and yeah. then eventually, a movie that most people will like that is still within budget will come out of that room. Yeah, that's true. Maybe blood too, but I don't know. Anyway. But no. for a Broadway show, I kind of almost more understand that, that nobody's really going to know anything about Spider-Man. It's to an embarrassing level. <laughs> it's to an embarrassing level, right? Um, yeah, it's, it, that'll be on our B-sides. So November 5th, 2010, the first preview would be put on. So I was mistaken. This is later 2000. <laughs> nothing ever on this show comes on. Nothing on the, on the Spider-Man show ever happens in any amount of correct time. Nice. Like it's always like a year after the thing you think it's going to happen. Nice. So November 5th in 2010, we get our first preview. It started 24 minutes late. Uh, <laughs> sets were me- uh, basically certain sets were missing entire pieces. Wow. So where there should be like, I don't know, skyscrapers or something, there is nothing because it wasn't made yet. Oh, I don't geez. know why you would go. This is literally like, it's, it's, it's a NASCAR. It's got three wheels. Our driver is half asleep and he's wearing his bathrobe. I think he can drive a car. Literally, it's the least amount we need. Get him out there. Oh, right? my God. It's barely enough for this show to eke on. And they put it on. Like they really shouldn't have. Because it's going to bite them in the ass so hard. Um, the main villain, Arachne. Uh, I can't wait to talk to you about that on the B-sides. So Arachne is like this, like she is like a spider. There's a lot of like really, really cool things they did. It is actually on a technical level, very, very cool. Uh, but she's this like act like hu- half human half spider thing and she's like suspended most of the time that she's in this performance so like the the legs like constantly move just a little bit it's a really okay. neat it's a really neat costume but she would like basically she did her thing like she comes out and she sings a song or something like that and she just and a lot of this happens above the audience by the way a lot of the show happens, and that was supposed to be its like its gimmick is that it happens off the stage sometimes. And Which is a terrible idea. I think it's a cool idea. I think there's so much that could go wrong. I think like if, here, if the audience, you're constantly you're straining your neck looking up the entire time. You wouldn't get like whole scenes, but you would get like fights. Like you would be able to follow it out into the crowd. Mm. Like it was, it was a cool idea. Okay, right, and and then this particular portion. She was supposed to be out in like, you know, towards the audience suspended and like maybe moving back and forth. But the machine like broke. Oh, so she just kind of wound up being suspended there for 10 minutes. Oh, just out there going, hi, I'm Arachne. I'm the villain of this production. How's your popcorn, <laughs> sir? Like she's just stuck out there awkwardly for 10 minutes um, during act one of the show. Um, it had to be stopped because one of the Spider-Man stuntmen missed. Uh, like there's a like a, a point they were supposed to grab on, kind of like the Tarzan style. Like, yeah, you know, they start swinging and there's like a handle for them to grab. Well, he missed it. So, and basically with the way momentum works, like he would have to find a way to like swing himself again. Uh, he would basically have to find a way to build momentum to get to that point again, 
because otherwise he's just gonna slowly diminish momentum oh, swinging no. back and forth so he never could get enough momentum oh, to grab okay. the handle again <laughs> so so tech hands had to be on both sides of the stage to try to catch him back and forth and this went on for a while and the audience would the audience turned it into a game so we're like he would disappear off to the stage left and then as he would enter you'd hear the audience go <laughs> he would disappear off the stage right and they would nice. try to catch him and then he would swing back the other way so embarrassing that's wow. so embarrassing so uh it did not uh it didn't go well and this leads me to another question for you can and it doesn't have to necessarily be just other world mm-hmm. but what is, can you tell me about kind of relatively briefly a tough experience you had playing live where you just had to power through it. Like, you know, this is not a good performance for one reason or another. It's on your side. It's on the crowd side, something. Mm. How did you get past it? Um, well, actually, yeah. When I was a, a bass player, uh, for the band Jetta, uh, there was a time where we, uh, played, it was like the, it was outside uh on a tiny little portable stage on like the alley in between two buildings on this like the side of a bar mm-hmm. because there wasn't enough room in the bar so instead we we played uh, outside and there was like one two people mm. in the in the audience cuz the rest were just inside the bar yeah and even the well i guess that's not powering through cuz i still had fun because it's like who who cares? I'm, I'm this is literally just a jam session at this point. I'm not really worried about like how well I'm playing. I'm just having fun. There was actually the last show that we played as Otherworld, uh, at the Crowbar. Um, it was just for time's sake and everything. We were running like we didn't want to run over and be that guy and have to yeah. you know hold the next band up, but at there were some complications and just, oh man, having to uh, play a little bit faster than usual <laughs> to try and stay in your time slot. But also, uh, you know, these songs that we have, a couple new songs that we threw in there that are uh, not as well practiced as the rest of our discography. Yeah. Yeah. There was one we probably shouldn't have played. Yeah. But we, hey, we had to, we had to, we have to bust it out live at some point. You know, you got to be, oh, yeah. you got to be brave at some point. And briefly, there was a performance I did in Tallahassee at this awful, awful venue. I won't name. Um, but uh, basically, they got. I think I talked about this on uh, Mike and Tab's uh, Gray's Taproom podcast before. But essentially, the band before was on, and the guy was an awful singer, and basically chased everybody out of the room. Oh. And we went live. We were supposed to be the headliner at that point. We went on 45 minutes late because that all the bands kept going over. So talking about being that mm. guy. So we're already like super late going on. The bar is like half closed. Uh, and then I had a wireless unit. So there's literally nobody out watching us. Like We're playing to the backs of three people at the bar. Wow. So I just decided I'm going to have fun with it. Like I said, it just becomes a jam session. So I got off stage and just watched my own band play. <laughs> so I had the wireless unit. And yeah. it was a unique experience. I got the guys to laugh and we uh, we joked about it on the way home. Drove to Tallahassee for that. 
I mean, there was one time when we played in Jacksonville that uh, Brandon, our drummer, had uh, like uh, uh, food poisoning. He had food poisoning. Like, He's and, a trooper. Yeah, so he played the full set, man, he powered through it, and then afterwards he went straight back to the Airbnb and waited there for us to, you know, finish mingling. But to come back to the murder scene oh, he did. <laughs> that's gotta suck, especially if you're a drummer. Oh god. I mean, I can stand there and clench my cheeks till it's done. He's his legs <laughs> were, are moving. You weren't as mobile on stage as you normally were. <laughs> I did, I did do the Jack Black power squat <laughs> like I usually do. Brandon's praying to every god there is out there. <laughs> just, just please, 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 I like these pants. <laughs> <laughs> He's a trooper. Uh, so, speaking of other, uh, speaking of other things that suck, uh, audience members uh, for the uh, Turn Off the Dark show, some of them walked out of mm. the preview and then some of them booed uh one theater goer said i don't know how everyone else feels but i feel like a guinea pig today i feel like it's a dress rehearsal mm. i kind of was that is that's yeah, what a was. preview is so like i get i get where she's coming from and i think they do have to pay for those but i mean that's kind of like a hardcore theater people go, people go to previews because mm. you kind of understand they haven't worked it all out yet. It's kind of like a test screening. Yeah. So I think that argument towards this is not necessarily valid. It just, it just, ha- that, that little blurb popped up in a lot of different articles. So I felt it was, mm. it was, I, I would love that as a, as a, uh, uh I felt customer. Like a, I felt like a guinea pig today. I mean, as a customer, I think I would prefer to see something like that happen than actually watch the performance. Like if it was all worked out. Just because I haven't cracked this yet. Ah, all right. So let's get into it. Let's get into some, some of the other reviews. Reviews of this preview were not kind. Hmm. Um, Just say. Yeah, it was called an epic flop. A lot of like the like the big time reviewers didn't hadn't gotten invites. And they, you know, a lot of these people will um, the previewers will send out emails and they'll try to get invited to these these big shows of course because they want the scoop yeah and they hadn't got anything on this huge production you know bonner's involved blah 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 so they bought their own tickets oh so they 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 hunted them down they bought their own tickets and they went so i mean they saw the show and there's nothing to say they a a professional reviewer can't be there so they did and uh they didn't have nice things to say it was it was pretty rough it's pretty rough they shouldn't have done it like they shouldn't have put this thing on even that early even though it was that awful so a month later so now we're in december uh of 2010 uh december 20th as a matter of fact the first major onset injury occurred at a preview so oh that was the first preview there was like 180 something previews before the show even opened so it's like making these like minor tweaks and then changing things because we're, we're going to come to find out um, some things, massive things had to get changed. So then they had to do other tests of the big changes. So there was a lot that had to happen with this, but a huge, um, one of the biggest accidents happened. And by the way, there was, there was a few that did happen, but this is probably the worst because this, this happened. Some of them happened off stage. This one happened in front of people. So people are watching this and then this accident happened. And I think this is where people think more stunt people died because they almost did. 
Oh. Um, so during a preview, in a sequence involving Spider-Man jumping off a bridge to save Mary Jane. So a lot of this is done with really interesting perspective tricks. I don't know if you've seen the classic Adam West Batman where they kind of fake him climbing up the wall because they literally turned the camera sideways and made him look like he was climbing vertically. Yeah. They're doing tricks like that with like forced perspective buildings and stuff like that. Again, on a technical level, super cool to yeah. see. Yeah. I highly encourage everybody to look up pictures of how they design this thing. What I might want you to prepare for is if you come across this clip, and it's not graphic, but you see the moment things went wrong because this is recorded. Yeah. Uh, so there's a scene where Spider-Man is jumping off a bridge to save Mary Jane. And the way it's set is basically the building is forced perspective towards the audience. So it's like you're, he's running off the side. No, he's off the side of uh, uh, the bridge, right? So the bridge is like going towards the audience. And essentially he jumps and then he like dives straight down towards the audience, right? Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like, It'd be like if you're on the far end of the pool and you watched a diver dive in like there, you see like the, the back of their head and their back and stuff like the audience is watching him do it towards them. Yeah. Right. It couldn't be a worse angle for uh, stuntman Chris Tierney to fall 20 feet when his harness that was supposed to be clamped, uh, uh, clamped to an anchor in the back was not clamped to anything. So he dives with the full expectation that his uh, harness is going to like, you know, like catch him and then like bring him down or something like that. Whatever idiot stagehand back there didn't do it, didn't do it. So he just fell 20 feet. Running start, dive 20 feet straight down. Jeez. Luckily, Chris Tierney is a professional and he knew how to position himself to where he didn't land on his head. Oh, wow. That is a badass. Yeah. (laughs) He knew, he knew basically he needed to like, he knew like, there's no getting out of this unscathed, right? Yeah. There's even if he tried to land on his feet, he'd blow both his knees out. Like there's no, there's no stopping some kind of horrible injury, but what he can do is try to prevent the worst of it. So what he did was he figured out a way to turn himself as he was falling, like actual Spider-Man stuff here and lands on his back. Oh. I can't. Could you imagine? Like, if, I don't know if anybody out here has attempted a belly flop. Imagine that on your back from twenty feet on no. on concrete. Oh god! So, and this happened in front of a live audience. Tierney broke several bones. He broke uh, four ribs. He fractured his elbow and his skull. Jeez! But he lived, and he didn't. He, so none of this was like permanent. None of these were like permanent injuries. And uh, he actually would return to the show like some four months later. What? Yeah, no, he wasn't. This, he, he's a stuntman. He is like, he's like, oh, bad things happen. Wow. First day back on set, he might break one of his knuckles, punching that, that uh, crew guy in the face that forgot to yeah. hook the thing up. Yeah. And then he'd probably be out for another week. And, yeah, no, he didn't do all that. But uh, nah, he actually came back to the show. Wow. Uh, so hats off to that dude. Uh, actual toughest man of that decade actual spider-man <laughs> actual actual spider-man doing actual superman superhero stuff so five to six more real serious injuries happened and that is like the documented ones there could have been more yeah um some of them including uh a rat the actress for arachne received a concussion that took her out like wow. a uh you know like those like hooks that like climbers use to hook themselves on like a their gear with yeah 
it's like a clamp that's got a spring loaded kind of deal. So it's like a dive. Uh, you see them a lot with like pulleys and stuff, but essentially, um, this was like supposed to be hooked on to a piece of equipment above Arachne's head and it failed somehow. And this is like a stage one. This isn't like a little one you use to clamp to your pocket. Yeah. This is a big heavy one to hold at least 50 pounds worth of stuff. And it fell and hit her in the head Oh, while she was backstage suspended. There's nowhere for her to go. It was just bam, hit her in the head and she still had to perform. Wow. So she came out and performed. And then as soon as like she got off the stage, She's like, doctor, now. <laughs> Jeez. So also second toughest person. Yeah. Uh, doing some actual superhero stuff. I forget the name. The, the, they had the actress. I should have written it down, but she's actually, she's been in a lot. Um, but there, there's several big accidents that happened for the, the, the guy who dove, Tierney. Uh, OSHA fined the producers $12,600 for that incident. And that's in oh. uh, 2010 money or 2000, yeah, 2010 money. And if you thought the press was bad before. Oh, no, it all went wrong. <laughs> so much worse after that, because not only is it like, oh, this is expensive. This is poorly produced, blah, blah, blah. Now it's like, oh, people are actually getting hurt. That that is just a, a, a story people are going to run with forever. Like, yeah, even if the show went great spoilers it it didn't even if it went great uh they'd never outrun this this that would always yeah. follow them and it would always taint the show um so after that in 2010 the show would be put on hold for a third time ultimately until march 2011 there it kind of started again and then immediately closed so um they're fighting that again and then the final delay would happen on april 19th to May 11th in 2011. Um, even the previews stopped and with a total shutdown to rework the story. Basically, it just there was so many problems with it and we'll get to some of them on the B-sides. Yeah. It was a crazy script. No one can make sense of it. There's things that shouldn't be there. It's hyper bloated. This is a long show. People are falling out of the sky. And then people like, and then finally they're just like, stop, stop, stop. We're going to go back and just rework this nightmare. Jeez. Um, so the, through the previews, it kind of gained. Are you familiar with the movie The Room? Uh, no. Uh, well, it's uh, I think it's Tommy Wiseau directed it. And The Room is regarded as one of the worst movies ever made. Oh. I think it was made in 2008. I need to watch it then. Oh, yeah, for potential projects coming up the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, it is one of the worst movies ever made. If you've seen the meme of like, I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, really? That's where that's the room. Okay. That's the room where the guy just randomly throws the water bottle. And there's so much bad green screen. Um, so that movie has a cult following because it's so bad, right? I love it. Um, that's kind of what happens to this production. Oh, that people are like, oh, this is a nightmare. You have to try to get to this show. Oh, this is so bad. You've got to see it. Yes. Like basically Broadway, like, you know, nerds of the Broadway sphere mm-hmm. are like, you have to see this. Even I think if you, if you hated Broadway, you probably wanted to see this especially. I would want to see this, you know, and I'm not a fan of Broadway. I, w- I wouldn't normally go to a Broadway show, but I'd love to see this happen. 
like the bad thing happen or just be interested in a Spider-Man show? No, no, no. The the terribleness of it. Okay. Well, there you go. That is imagine thousands and thousands of people trying to get previews. <laughs> like it kind of went into demand in like the worst way possible. By the way, yeah. there's some big egos at play here. So you would think that the the money smart people would be like, okay, here we go. Let's let's swallow our pride and then just open the doors. Just what happens. Yeah. <laughs> kind of turn it into the producer's uh, Broadway show. Um, but no, we got big egos here. That was never going to happen. Mm. Um, Robert Acosta was brought. I'm sorry, I'm butchering that name. Was brought on to help fix the show, and he had written some of the Spider-Man comics. Oh, so between Tamor, she had another writer. And then this guy makes three people trying to work this story out. Okay. So Bono, the Edge, and the producers fought Tamar on overhauling the show, which she flat out refused. They're like, hey, this can't work. We need to take this out. We need to rework this. And she's like, I will change nothing. Oh. So she's just putting her foot down, and she's like, that's just how it's going to be all $60 million of debt. <laughs> um. So she wouldn't be allowed to change the show. So after nine years on the production, Tamor leaves the show. That is a real quick way to say she took them to court. <laughs> they came to a settlement outside of court. Oh. And then she was written off the show. Uh, or she was uh, excused from the show. And then she was replaced with Philip William McKinley. Good luck on your future endeavors. Please don't come back. Um, Garfinkel's career wouldn't be the only thing this show killed mm. besides another man. Um, so Philip McKinley uh, had done major work for Barnum and Bailey and the Wing- Ringling Bros. So it was probably somebody who should have been involved involved in the first place. Yeah. Was brought in to try to save whatever this is. So uh, I have this for us. Nine years in production, six total delays. So when I said it in that, in that early one, ultimately it didn't, it, Restarted in like March. Yeah. So there's a few more delays that happened there. Nine years in production, six delays, five major injuries, three writers, two producers, and one death. June 14th, 2011, Spider Man Turn Off the Dark officially premieres. Wow. That's what it took to get this thing to actually have opening do- uh, the opening day. So the reviews were as such. Hollywood Reporter called it a bloated monster. Hmm. The New York Times, a bore. Critiques were mo- mostly focused on the story, and the performers were generally praised for their abilities. So nobody's being real, real nasty the whole time. Yeah. And they're saying, like, hey, the guy who played Spider Man in this, who actually the first actor uh, who played Spider Man in this was also, um, he was Dorian Gray and Penny Dreadful, and then he was, um, Oh, what's his name from uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show? Cannot remember. He's the gangly guy that opens the door. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's astounding. Yeah. That guy. He played that guy in that terrible remake they did a couple years ago. Mm. It was the made-for-TV one. Yeah. It was, it was, it was bad. It was bad. They shouldn't. You can't, there's some things you can't remake. Yeah. Rocky Horror, Princess Bride are two of them. <laughs> yeah. They needed the 80s to exist. So no one's being nasty, like panning the whole thing overall. They're like, the performers are doing what they can with what they have to work with. Yeah. And what they have to work with is the boar and bloated monster. So everybody's at least cool with like 
at least they know how to cast talent. Mm. And there were people that like, uh, I think Alan Cummings was supposed to be the Green Goblin in this story. And then he and the original actress for Mary Jane were like, <laughs> no. And they backed out like a year or two into this nightmare. Mm. So they've gone on to like do like two or three movies or productions a piece before this thing even comes out. Wow. So despite the negative press, the show sold out the Foxwood Theater several times. Wow. In its first year, it brought in $1.5 million. And I, I forget what the metrics are, but it for opening nights, I think it reached like $2 million in a really, really short amount of time. It was only beaten by like the show Wicked, which was a massive success. Yeah. I don't know the story of Wicked as in like the production side of things, but I know it was a hit. And I feel like you can't make as much on Broadway as nearly as quickly because uh, with an actual movie, you have multiple like thousands of movie theaters across America that can be playing it at the same time. And this is Broadway. It's just it's. This happening at this one theater. Yeah. You sell out this one theater over and over and over again. Yeah, there was, well, they, they can have multiple shows doing multiple. Um, we'll kind of get to that towards the end. So let's hold that thought. Okay. Cause I can, I can expand on that a little bit more uh, towards, towards the end of this. Um, so they brought in $1.5 million in its first year, which is insane. And the show ran for over a thousand performances. Hmm. So we talked about again, kind of that initial energy of people who you know want to see the absurdity of it, going to it. That room energy, like I talked about. Yeah. Um, it kind of helped it gain popularity, and then people actually liked the show. So hmm. the the normal people that it was kind of meant for, because it was meant to be like a gateway show, like you know. A lot more people like Spider-Man. <laughs> so yeah. we're going to get our Spider-Man fans in, introduce them to Broadway, and we'll see if half of them hate it, but half of them might try out other Broadway shows. Yeah, We got that other half that we didn't have before. Mm. So the idea is that it's a gateway into Broadway. It's like supposed to be like an ease into it kind of thing. Yeah, Brilliant idea. I think it's a great idea. I think it was the right character to do this with. I think they just had the worst people on the job. Yeah. Nothing about you two is like, okay, Spider-Man. I don't, he, I don't, he didn't know anything about <laughs> Spider-Man. He didn't read the comics. Yeah. I don't even know if you watch the movies. So, um, yeah, that's a whole other thing. But after, after, at some point after its first year, despite this massive success, right? Uh, the producers were unable to get injury insurance because of the initial accidents. And I think some of the, like, let's say not so documented ones. Mm. So they just weren't able to get injury insurance, which means January 4th, uh, 2014, the show closes. Okay. So they weren't able to get injury insurance like past a certain point because you buy it in advance. And yeah. basically <laughs> the last time they could run the show, basically legally, was January 4th, 2014. And after three years of actual showings, the, uh, uh, the biggest production in Broadway history cost investors $60 million like after the math is done. Yeah. They lost $60 million. <laughs> wow. It is 
the world record holder, believe so far for the biggest money loser and worst reviewed show in Broadway history. Okay, that is oh, yeah, I wouldn't want to be a part of that, but I would love to see it. Still would love to see it. I'm, I've seen parts of it. Broadway is not my thing. No. <laughs> I don't think I would have made it through this whole show. But I am a fan of crappy. And that sounds crappy. I think with enough adult beverage, I could have probably made it through this show. <laughs> I tried to watch the Green Goblin song. Dakota thought it was really good. I hated it. <laughs> I hated it. Because I think if... We'll get to that again in the conclusion. We'll, I, I think I can, I can get to that point again. But before we get to the conclusion, I have another question for you. Okay. Okay. Still waiting on that stinger. Yep. <laughs> Just remind you every time. The next question I have for you is, we know that this was the most expensive show to put on, right? Okay. Do you know the second most expensive Broadway production is at nearly $30 million? Second most expensive Broadway Mm -hmm. production. So you're telling me, the question is, name another Broadway production. Um, I just, just, if you can imagine, just pick out of a hat what musical they made. Let's just say after after a, a very popular media. Like it's a okay. very popular. I'll give you that. It's a very popular movie. Let's say. Was it on or off ice? This is Broadway. This is okay. On ice. Okay. Thirty million dollars. It's like twenty-seven something million dollars to put this show on. Can I get the year? Um, it would have. Twilight. Final answer. I God, I wish you were right. I don't know that they could physically spend $30 million on Twilight. I don't think it had a good soundtrack. And <laughs> oh my God, Twilight the musical with Muse doing the music. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd go. I'd go. I would have. I'd I, go for the free Muse concert. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's a Muse concert about Twilight. Okay. So you have somebody having to wear Kristen, Dun- uh, not Dunst, Kristen Stewart dentures. To look like a rabbit. <laughs> so, Edward, how are you so old? Why do you glitter when a sun hits your skin? But if anyone can make a song about a sparkly vampire and it actually be good, it's memes. This is one of the songs is called Spider Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, you're, uh, I wish you were right. I really wish you were. But in fact, it is a, uh, a movie that has popped up multiple times. In our story, in our in our podcast, and uh, not only is this film uh, preserved in uh, America, like permanently preserved in like the Smithsonian, Shrek the Musical. Oh my God! <laughs> yes, was the second most expensive Hell production yeah. for nearly thirty million dollars, and again, uh, it got it it ended very quickly. It wasn't such a disaster as this, but it did not have the popularity they wanted. Um, for the record, though, Hamilton, again, cost $12.5 million to put on, and it is a massive success. Mm. I'm not a fan, but a lot of people are. In the end, the only way to recoup the $60 million that they lost was essentially for them to sell out that theater every show for seven years straight. Wow. It was the only way they were going to get that money back. 
for Spider-Man. And I don't know uh, how many of y'all out there have played live. Uh, Well, I mean, they had Spider-Man behind them, so maybe they had a chance. But, I mean, getting, I don't know, a sold-out show every show for seven years, I I don't know. That's possible. No, I don't think I don't think uh, the Lion King sells out every single show. I know it gets close. I know it does well, but I mean that's been going on for ten years. I think. Yeah. So apparently, it's something interesting I wanted to talk about. And we were talking about um, how do Broadway shows like make money? And apparently, the running math right now is that one in five Broadway shows recoups its money actually. Wow. So some of them barely get it back, and then like one in five are actually a success. Um, for the record, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man in 2002 cost $139 million to make. So then... So they spent nearly like $70 million on this thing, and they were so close to just making a movie. Wow. Yeah. Uh, one of the things, because we were, we were at, uh, me and Dakota were talking about it. Like, why do, why do people invest in these shows? Not saying Broadway's bad, so don't take it that way. It's like, literally, if you're doing the cold, hard math and you're an investor and you're trying yeah. to make money, why would you invest in something you've got a one in five chance of it succeeding? Yeah, that's not good math. It's not good math. But apparently there's other things they can do, like license out the broadway like musical cds and music other places mm. that does i imagine that does have a pretty strong following i'm not one of them but i'm i know like uh the audience is there i don't yeah. i don't know if they would have stepped to the tune of 60 million dollars to recoup spider-man but no and the music for this show wasn't reported to be like good either oh uh. Yeah, no, no one was like, oh, the songs are great. It's like, he doesn't know how to write show tunes. Yeah, no. He knows how to write U2 songs. He should probably keep writing U2 songs. I would prefer if he stopped writing U2 songs. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's, there's other avenues for them to make money. And when people were more excited about this production, um, there were talks about putting shows in, um, I believe it, one of the shows, at least in Vegas, in like a Cirque du Soleil type theater where this would have actually made sense. So, but there was one other place, I think London, they were talking about putting the show on like with, you know, local actors and things like that. So there would be like the Spider-Man that's here. Then there would be the Spider-Man that's in Vegas. And then there would be the Spider-Man that's in London. Oh, Yeah. There'd be three different troops of actors that perform these things. Uh, but uh, after initial reactions weren't so great, the other shows did not. Oh, get made nice i imagine it's a nightmare to put one of these shows together but i imagine this one was especially hell well i mean if there's no uh you know cable swinging through the crowd i feel like it'd be a lot easier to do in other venues there would have to be some kind of swinging though i mean it's spider-man like the subject it like he he can't just walk around yeah he can't be peter parker the whole time like there has to be a spectacle to it i think tamor at least figured that out yeah. Um, and her solution was, I. it's a cool thing to write down on paper. And it's a cool, it is an amazing idea of like, not only is the show on stage, but it like, we have all this space in 3D and the Z axis we can use. Why not use it? And then she just came up with like the worst way how, mm. which where a producer should have gone, hey, can we take this 
uh, $52 million idea and make it, I don't know, 15. Can, yeah. Can we maybe have like one swing that we reuse in a couple different ways? I don't know. But uh, to kind of get towards the conclusion here, despite its failures and indirectly killing someone, it still marveled at being a technical achievement on Broadway. This, I am serious. The set pieces of this thing look really cool. I can't speak for the music, but um, some of the costume choices are cool. I don't understand what's going on with the Green Goblin. Mm. I have no idea why they went with what they with what they went with. I can't even describe it. It's like if Liberace, yeah, it's like if Liberace and Norman Osborn were the same person. If like Norman Osborn like moonlighted as a Andrew Lloyd Webber type. <laughs> I don't understand. It looks awful. Like he's got these long spikes. I don't get it. Um, and for, like I said, from what I've seen, it's a really, really cool thing to look at. Um, it has a pretty decent cult following. Like there are people that legit like this thing. And I'm not, and that's not, I mean, I, they like it. I mean, that also comes from me. I don't really care for Broadway, like I said. And uh, people that are more into Broadway might find a lot that, you know, a lot of, things they like especially like a lot and no one had ever seen anything like this before um there's like a facebook page that, at least one that i found that's dedicated to this there's people um trying to archive it on youtube because this is mm. the show's dead in the water like there's no more promo for it it gets it got joked about on snl it got joked about in video games it gets joked about on sesame street wow sesame street's bringing the heat come on now <laughs> oh Oh no. No, man. That no one is letting them off easy for it. Um so the problems in the beginning really snowballed and the show just never could get past its overhead costs. Mm. Lots of cool ideas. Yeah. Everything on paper seemed to be great. You had like a something no one had ever done before with a guy who knew what he was doing and he had a team of people that well, at least they had done things, you know, at least Bono had written music before and Julie Taymor had definitely held a good show together. But I think she read Ultimate Spider-Man, like number one. Of course, they always read Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, and then I think that's where the Arachne thing came from because Norman Osborn is talking about that. It's like literally on like the first page. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. She's like, well, done. I got what I need. I can make oh. A spider. Yes. Ah, oh, you see, he's saying spider man actually is spiders, yeah. <laughs> yes, I see. It all comes together so clearly now. He's bought spider part man. <laughs> Call him Daddy Longlegs. Oh my god. <laughs> so I what it comes down to, and me and uh, Dakota and I talked about this as well when we we're doing the research, we think it comes down to um two main routes. I'm curious to see what you think about this. Okay. If you like Broadway and you don't know anything about Spider-Man, you might have liked this a lot. Yeah. If you know the comics but didn't know a lot about Broadway, you probably were going to hate this. Yeah. For the things they changed. Like they tie the Sinister the Sinister 6 directly to Norman Osborn. Mm. And that 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 no. No. Maybe a couple of them, but not not Craven the Hunter and Carnage were a part of this. Wow! And somehow Norman Osborn is responsible for both of them. Mm. 
Yeah. No. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Join us on the B-sides on our Patreon to talk about that. Where we can just open the nerd valve and just let it go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like if you know the comics, I think you're probably going to hate this. And it's just, if you like Broadway, maybe you would like it. Because it's just, there's a way in Broadway where, I, and literally like every, there's like 40 songs to this show. Literally every mm. two minutes, it's like, I don't feel well. I don't feel well. <laughs> like suddenly, oh, God. It, there's songs to everything. Um, uh, yeah, no. And then you're, a lot of people are going to have issues with the, the changes Tamor had because Tamor was her book made no sense. Yeah. And she, she, she took away real important things to the story that make Peter Parker who he is. Yeah. And then just kind of was like, well, I think this is better. And that's kind of her approach to the story. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's kind of what I have on this. Um, oh, it was a, it, it was a really, really swell idea put together by a guy who knew what he was doing and ran by people who shouldn't have. Yeah. Like every, every wrong thing that could have happened seemingly did in this performance. Yeah. Uh, in this production. So uh, any final thoughts? Uh, I mean, when the, the guys who, the guy who wanted to start all of this, the, the very same person who could convince Marvel to give the green light when he dies right before it even starts. I think he kind of just back off it, you know, and it's like, well, that was his project. I don't think I could do this without him. That's it. Not a lot had been moved in that way, but it's a tougher decision when a lot of like all the permissions were signed. A lot of, a lot of the paperwork had already been done. That is a pain to put together. I don't think it was as easy as saying no. Like Tamor made time for it. I mean, Tamor before this production was a hot director. Like people wanted her for things. She yeah. was known for one of the best shows that's still going on. Uh, she directed some movies, not ones I'm going to watch, but um, she directed movies. People liked, if you like those kind of movies, um, she had talent for a particular audience. Uh, hasn't done much since. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's still one of those things where it's like at Gar, Gar Garfinkel, Garfinkel. I kept saying Garfunkel, but it's Garfinkel. Yeah. Uh, he should have, as soon as that person died, he should have. Okay, what is the most notable Broadway like producer I can find to help? continue what he would have done yeah no yeah that 100 i don't i don't think it's as easy as saying hey we just uh we turn off the production but uh, yeah uh yeah 100 is find somebody that actually knows what they're doing yeah. and then fire bono and the edge and actually right get people that know it right and music. not continuing it on its own without no. any experience you know sondheim was still alive at this point he could have totally written the music for uh, and he did sweeney todd so yeah, I think he could have done some cool stuff for Spider-Man. I don't think Danny Elfman could, despite how great things he did for the movies, music-wise. Well, tell us what you thought about all of this. And uh, we're on Twitter at Phantom Jukebox underscore, Facebook at Phantom Jukebox, Instagram at Phantom Jukebox Podcast, and TikTok at Phantom Jukebox Podcast. Let us talk to us. Tell us what you thought about this episode and, and what you might want us to do in the future. 
Yes. Uh, also, if you have a whatever streaming service you're listening to on, one, thank you. But two, if we could, you know, it, it takes a lot of work to put the show together. Um, the re- we spent a long time researching this one to get it ready. And uh, we, would re- we would really appreciate what helps us out so much on our end. And doesn't cost you a thing. It's just give us five stars and, you know, tell us a little bit what you thought about the show or um, even better with something you might want us to cover next. And we'll, you know, we'll put it in the hat and see what happens. Yeah. Um, so other, cause some kind of quick announcements I wanted to say towards the end okay, of the show. Yes. Uh, so we're still doing the monthly thing for a little while. Yes. We got a couple, I think it's, it'll be a little while while we're, well, well, mainly me is adjusting. It's, to. It's not uh, our favorite thing, but it is necessary. I think it is necessary. It's either the quality of the show drops, which I don't think is fair to, uh, everybody out there listening uh nah this is gonna be something you've if you're listening now you've given us well over an hour of your time and i and we want it to be worth that time so uh i think the the more proper thing to do despite us hating to do it is going to the monthly route for the time being it's not forever but it is for right now and uh also you're in not immediately, but in the next month or so, we're going to be pulling our first five episodes off and then either yeah. moving it to like a a season zero or putting it on our YouTube. It'll still be there for a minute if you want to check them out still. But uh, for listeners that are joining on, we don't we, we think we've gotten a lot better <laughs> since, yeah. since that point. And um, yeah, I just I think for uh, we'll keep them in the archive, but it doesn't kind of represent the show. Like we we've gotten some things figured out since episode one, yeah. So I just we want our on our beginnings for people to be strong. So we'll still have them, and we'll have them on YouTube. But as far as like your major streaming platforms, you probably the episodes will start at uh, part Helter one of Skelter. of Helter Skelter, so episode six. Yes, I don't know, but Florence Foster Jenkins will still be part of our lives. Yes, we'll uh, we'll have her in the, the archives and forever in the back of our minds is one of the saddest stories of all time. And which also brings up the uh, tell your friends about us, you know, just, hey, if you find someone, you know, someone who's likes podcasts, be like, hey, have you heard about the Phantom Jukebox? They're pretty interesting guys. Hey, did you know that Fantasia was used as a mind torture device? Well, these guys did all the reading, so you don't have to. Exactly. Impress your friends with random information at parties. <laughs> so. With that being said, I want to thank everybody out there for listening. Yes. Thank you, Joe, for being here. Thank uh, you, Ty. I want to thank uh, Kenny Grooms for his audio wizardry and uh, producing the intro music for us. I want to thank the uh, help of our producer slash social media sorceress, Dakota Galvin, for helping me on the research and then handing all the social medias because, well, we're just not good at it. No. And she is very good at it. Yes. So all the really cool stuff for the post, that's her. I just handle the, the, the pictures in some of the things. Yeah. <laughs> I draw pictures every now and then. <laughs> so anyway, well, that is this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. This one was a, this was a trip for me. Yeah, I definitely. Was, I feel so bad for all the people that got so invested in this, both financially and emotionally. Man, I would have loved to have seen it. Well, it's on YouTube. You can find it. And uh, kind of see bootlegged versions for yourself, but remember it is bootlegged. Uh, but I mean, it's a it's a show that got canceled, so I mean, you're not really hurting anybody by trying to watch it. So yeah, no. If you're fascinated, check it out. And you can check it out as well. 
But until then, until next time.